0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Center Church Podcast. My name is Jack, and I'm the Youth and Discipleship Resident here at Center Church in Byron Center, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and move to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you, and equip you to see who God really is, and who you are in Him.
1: good morning center church good to be with you glad to see you uh i don't know if you are awake or what you're coming in this morning feeling uh but in the words of our household i would describe uh, john is coming in hot today okay so you may not know what that means why don't you turn to somebody next to you and just say i don't know what coming in hot means but i'm ready for it okay so just turn to somebody close to you or down your road to say i don't know what that means but i'm ready for it." So. Part of coming in hot means we're going right into Jonah 4. So if you have your Bible, you got a phone, go with me to Jonah chapter 4, and let's read together the last couple verses of the story. This is our last week here in Jonah, and this is what the Word says. This is Jonah 4, verse 10. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I not have great concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? It's an interesting end to the book of Jonah. Like we followed this guy for the last couple of months, and in this story, he is sent to Nineveh, eventually makes it there. He shares this message of repentance and, and renewal. Turn back to God is the message or you're going to get destroyed, and Nineveh turns around. And then Jonah gets really angry about the fact that they turned around, and at the very end of this story, he gets mad about this plant, and he's mad about a worm eating the plant, and mad at God for who God is, and and at the end of the story, this whole book leaves us wondering, like, what what happened to Jonah? Like, why is he so not concerned about Nineveh, and he's so much more concerned about plants and worms eating his plants, and, and just Wanting all of that instead of a whole city to turn around. And this is like the interesting way that Jonah ends. It's him and God going back and forth with each other. You don't hear about Jonah again. This is the end of Jonah's of his story. And I think there's something happening. When you ask the question, why wasn't Jonah concerned about Nineveh? Like this question has plagued me these last couple months. I'm trying to get in his head over and over like, why doesn't he care? I mean, Jonah's a prophet. He's called by God. He's a mouthpiece for God in the nations. He's supposed to be God's man. But he, number one, disobeys at the very beginning of the story and then eventually gets there. They listen to what he says, and he's still, in the words his own words, like not concerned. He doesn't give a rip. About Nineveh, he cares way more about getting shade in the middle of a really sunny day. And God is saying, "Aren't you concerned? There's really 120,000, maybe more people, and there's animals. How many dog or cat lovers? You know, like he he cares. He sees them. And so this is how the story ends. But there's something that's really invisible about Jonah's story. Something that you and I may not decipher from the first time we've read this book. And there's something inside of us that can become toxic if we're not aware. That Jonah has working on the inside of him You can't touch it You can't see it You maybe don't even hear it In the words of Jonah In this conversation with him and with God But it's there It's it's underneath the surface And all of us, if we're not careful Have the same thing happen to us under the surface And in Jonah 4 We know that Jonah is an Israelite That That's how this whole book starts He's in the nation of Israel God's chosen people And so Jonah being an Israelite Would have been we have been familiar with how military battles were fought and how they were won and how they were lost. Uh, we are not in a society in which every couple of years our nation turns over into the hands of somebody else and you got to change your citizenship and learn a new language, but this is part of Jonah's reality. He's living in the Middle East at the time in which there was incredible turnover. Military battles would decide where your citizenship was going to be in that year. And so he hates the people of Assyria. He doesn't like Ninevites. He doesn't want to go. But Jonah is familiar with something that militaries still use to this day, the idea of strongholds. And a military stronghold would have been set up on a high place in a region or in a city to protect them. It would give them a vantage point. It would give them like perspective. It would also protect some of their most valuable leaders if, if people tried to invade or siege their city. And so Jonah, living in Israel... Knowing about these Assyrian empires and other empires around, would have known what a stronghold looked like. He would have been familiar with an external stronghold. But I want to go back to the question, why wasn't Jonah concerned? And here's why I don't think Jonah's concerned. I don't think Jonah was concerned about Nineveh because much like the militaries of his day, Jonah had a stronghold of passivity and indifference in his heart. That's what's happening in Jonah. If you have to look at the story of Scripture and map out why does Jonah not care, there's something on the inside of him over time that's been built up, a hatred, an indifference, a passivity about God reaching his neighborhood nations to Israel. And it slowly over time has overtaken him to the point where he's more concerned about a succulent than he is about 120,000 people dying without the Lord, without salvation You know, it's funny about this story. As you look at his own journey, you watch him from the very beginning. Jonah is a prophet. Again, that's a high position. Not a bad job to be like, hey, you're chosen by God to say exactly what God gives you to say. He's going to provide for your needs. People will probably like it. Sometimes they won't, but you've got God's backing on you. That's a high position. And what God does throughout the story of Jonah, these last four chapters, has been continually try to get Jonah's attention and knock him down. Humble him. Teach him something. Show him that just as sinful as Ninevites are, he has sin. He needs to surrender. He needs to repent. He needs to turn back to God. And he begins to use all these elements, whales, plants, <laughs> heat, uh, all of these common things to try to break down Jonah's strongholds. He forces him to identify with like an ordinary person. You know, in northern Iran where this story is taking place, it's about 124 degrees on a hot summer day. Anybody like being like going to warm places in the winter? Yeah, you none of you are choosing northern Iran in the summer. Okay, that's not a vacation spot for anybody in our town like but that's where this is the location where Jonah is. It is hot hot. So I get why he's ticked about his shade getting removed, but at the same time, he's so much more concerned about his comforts, his ability to feel like rested and taken care of and provided for that he misses the point of what god has him on earth to do and i think for many of us we too if you're not careful can live with strongholds things in our life that are invisible they're unseen but they drive us they force us to make decisions there are lies that we believe about ourselves, about other people and we exist just like jonah so, many of the, so much of the time with spiritual strongholds at work in our life that we have yet to ever seen torn down, demolished, ruined, obliterated in our life. And, and I think for most of us, I shared this with the team this morning, I, I really believe this. I don't say this every Sunday. I really believe that right now for many of us and some of our families and our marriages, our friendships, there is a greater level of freedom God wants to bring us to but he, it will not happen unless we work to tear down strongholds today. And I don't say that to like make it sound really abstract, like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm saying that because I truly believe the Holy Spirit is the only one, when we get in touch with him, the truth, he will tear down the strongholds of our life and replace them with freedom and hope and full, brimming to the full life for us. And so today what I want to do is break down how to break down <laughs> a stronghold. And this is a journey I've been on for many years. This is something I was introduced to a long time ago and didn't really ever interact with it until recently. But it's really started to rewire my thinking and change my relationship with God. And I want to walk us through this. So if you would, flip over on the opposite side of things to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you've got a Bible or phone, go there now, 2 Corinthians 10. And we're going to read in verse 3 to to begin And Paul, as he's writing to this church in Corinth, he uses the same military language Jonah would have been familiar with. He's teaching them about how to dismantle, tear down, demolish, in his words, spiritual strongholds that build themselves up in our lives and keep us from from real freedom. This is what he writes, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary... They have divine power to demolish – say this word with me – strongholds. Yeah, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's what he writes about strongholds. That's what he says about the the inner life that you and I have, that if unchecked, if not work – if we don't do the work with the Spirit to tear – those strongholds down he's saying watch out for that God has given you the power to tear them down Don't let them define and build up in your own heart like jonah ends up doing and so if you look at a stronghold these spiritual Things that take take root in our life that keep us from freedom if, if you had to kind of give them some categories here's some of the categories I would give Number one a stronghold can be individual it can be a, a specific thing that you have walked through that would be unique to your story. That certainly can be a stronghold. But secondly, there could be family strongholds. There can be things that your parents dealt with that you deal with. And there could be things that your kids are going to deal with because you dealt with them. they are generational patterns or or spiritual kind of barriers or obstacles or maybe sin things that happen over and over again and, Because this person did this, and their grandpa did this, and then his grandpa did this, it kind of gets worked down the line, and it becomes a stronghold in your family system. But thirdly, there can also be regional strongholds. There can be pockets of places that you and I live in which there are unique strongholds to where we are geographically. And fourthly, there are cosmic strongholds. Those are, if you think about Paul's words in Ephesians and other letters he would write later on, basically it's like, Hey, just so you know, what you're seeing and touching is not all there is. Like your lunch today is not like the fullest picture of existence. Uh, there is literally a spiritual battle in the cosmic realm being waged for good and for evil, for God and for the enemy. Now you may go throughout your day and wake up tomorrow morning and be totally oblivious to it. doesn't make it less real. Paul's saying it's there. There are strongholds that, that God is actively seeking to tear down. In our lives, in our communities, and in our families. And so there's really three pillars. We had to break this down. If you look at the New Testament, three things that are true of every single spiritual stronghold. And here they are. The first element of a stronghold is there's an event or there's a system that has taken place. An event or a system. And sometimes it's a really painful event, sometimes it's like it's something that's happened in your story or something that's difficult. Or you look back as a, as a kid, you remember something happened to you or around you that affected you. Secondly, there's a lie we begin to tell ourselves out of that event or out of that system, and the lie sometimes goes like this: like I can never trust people, or I can't really be vulnerable, or I'm not safe, or I'm not I'm not valued, I don't belong. There are lies that we tell ourselves, and we begin to let them get soaked into the fabric of our everyday. Experience and eventually what happens If you believe those lies long enough They create in us what what some would describe As a vow or a commitment And so if you're saying I'm never going to be safe what that means my Commitment is I'll always be guarded I will never let anyone truly Love me I'll never let everyone See the full picture Of what it's like to be me I'll never Be honest I'll put on a face I'll put on a performance you when I show up To church I've got to act like I've got everything Figured out that, that's what that looks like. And all of us, knowingly or not, because we are in a sinful world, have the tendency to go through the, that, that pattern until we build up a stronghold. There's an event or a system. There's a lie which leads to a vow. So for some of us, a stronghold could look like, I don't trust people. I've committed, I've vowed to myself I will never fully trust people. And underneath that is a lie that people are maybe not safe or they won't really love you. If you're vulnerable. And maybe that goes all the way back. You can think when you're six years old, something happens, or your parents divorce, or there's some traumatic event that you walk through that's maybe even unprocessed to this day, and, and you look back and you can trace and say, that's where the stronghold started. That's where it was built up. Uh, you may look at it, and, and maybe for you, it's this one I definitely connect with. I need to be better than others, I need to look better than others, I need to pre- present myself. As stronger or more competent or more awesome or more perfect or more beautiful, whatever your thing is, than other people. Why? Because somewhere underneath that is a lie. I have to look good to be okay. I have to be the best-looking person in the room. I have to have the things that, that people think I should have to be beautiful or be uh, handsome or whatever. There's a there's a lie that you've bought into, and that may go back to a moment in your story from a long time ago. Or it could have been something that happened Last year, I'm constantly suspicious of people. would be another one, or I can't stop yelling at my kids, or my kids are never going to be okay, or I go from one toxic relationship to another. I've got a person in my life right now who has a knack. I don't know if they make dating apps for meeting the wrong person, but this person's on that dating app at least because it's like, how do you find these people? Like, She is terrible. She is clearly not a good person and not a good human being. Do not marry. Do not live with this person. And over time, again and again and again, this keeps happening. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, How do you not see this? Well, somewhere in there, there's a spiritual stronghold that's been built up. There's a, a vow or a commitment with a lie attached and an event or system attached. So here's the golden question, okay? What if, what if you do identify a stronghold? What if the Holy Spirit makes something clear? He's pressing. Maybe you're sitting there. You're like, oh, you just talked – about mine what do you do once you've identified a spiritual stronghold in your life it's really really simple tear it down tear it down and the only way you can tear it down is through exposure to the truth of who god is and who you are that's the only way it's not the worst thing you could do is be like all right i get it i got paul's words and what i'm going to do is go home and and I'm gonna create a list of like five habits. I'm gonna tear down those strongholds every day. I'm not against habits. I'm not against disciplines. We're gonna celebrate communion later. Like those things are good for our soul, but the only real power that we have is is getting a revelation of who God is and who we are. In light of that, that's literally what Paul says. He's like, we don't we don't fight the way the world does. We don't just try to fix ourselves. We're not just trying to look better about this. We're trying to get real and say the only power I've got to change and to tear down these strongholds is the power of God at work in my heart. And I need a revelation. I need a vision. I need a a, a fresh moment, an encounter with him to really let that take place in my life. Here's the the warning sign that comes up to me when I read Jonah. Jonah gets these over and over and over again and never turns. Jonah has a moment. He gets swallowed by a whale. Remember this? He goes in the whale and he's surrounded, in Jack's words, by fish guts. And he's he's swimming amongst the fish guts in the whale's stomach. What does Jonah do? He prays. Jonah prays. And he prays and he talks about God's character and how he's surrendering and salvation belongs to him and He's going to go to Nineveh He's going to do the thing God asked him to do He gets spat out He goes to Nineveh They repent They turn What happens to him in the willow? He gets a picture of who God really is What's happening around him And who he is in light of who God is And then fast forward Nineveh turns They repent And Jonah's like Dang it! I did not want you guys to repent I didn't want you to turn I hate you guys And what does God do? Why are you so angry about that? You don't have a right to be angry about that. That's good. And what does Jonah say back to God? I knew that you were a gracious, compassionate, slow to rich, abounding love, rich in mercy, faithfulness, gracious. I knew you were all those things. That's why I didn't want to go to Nineveh and to preach this message of repentance. What does he have? Maybe he doesn't do anything with it, but he has a revelation of who God really is. He's, He's calling on God's character. And in light of that, Jonah never fully turns. He never really like moves into that next phase of surrender and submission to that. He lets the stronghold dictate his life. And a lot of us do that too. You may not sense it. You may not feel it. But you can look at your story and see, oh, yeah, there it is. Yep, I know what you're talking about. It's right there. Here's where it shows up for me. Here's what it feels like. here's maybe the fatigue or exhaustion I get by trying to overcome it by myself. But God's encouragement through his word is, once you know what it is, tear it down. Expose that thing to the truth. And I I already shared, there's some of those that, that register for me. I'm like, yep, that's it for me. Perform, look good, make people think you're better than you are, make people think you're more composed and put together than you really are. Th- those are ones that show up for me on a regular basis But I was trying to get underneath what are, what are some of the deeper ones That I truly feel like God has freed me from Or I should say is freeing me from And I came up with one I had someone attend our church recently And they showed up this past summer And I was like hey great to meet you guys I kind of knew them didn't, didn't really know them And they just asked what happened to you I was like I don't know nail pattern baldness I don't like what are you talking about They're like well we came to your church in 2019 and we decided we're not going back and I was like okay that's what a great introduction like I'm so glad you're here now and and this I said okay why do you tell me that that's kind of an odd thing to say like I came here a couple years ago we didn't like it you were in this Christian school gym we decided we don't want to be there and we didn't like you and uh, but now we're back here and I said okay walk me through that why why did you ask me what happened to me and they said two words that that will strike me I was sitting I was standing right here they said you're different I was like again what do you I, don't, I didn't fully understand what they meant they're like you're you're different you've you're changed you're you're different than the person that we met in 2019 I started to think about that and I was like What's under, What do you mean I'm different? Now, Again, this is past summer, and I was just reflecting on that. I think, the, I think what they're talking about is, is they're speaking into something that happened with one of my strongholds over the last couple of years. One of my strongholds that I have to be aware of, I have to submit, I'm working actively with the Holy Spirit to tear down, is this. This is how I would describe it. Passive, boring, comfortable Christianity is the end goal. Of my salvation, that's what I believed. I can still believe that sometimes. Passive, boring, indifferent, coast through life. Relationship with Jesus is, is that's what I was created for. My system was West Michigan. Plenty of churches, plenty of pastors, plenty of religion, plenty of people who, for for so many reasons, and I I get it, like just are so used to church and have to drive by a bunch of churches on the way to work every day and everyone they talk to kind of has some faith background or they go to this church and my neighbor goes to this other church and we're just it's so around us and it was around me that that was a system I grew up that that's just what you do it's like a part of your weekend rhythm but there would be weeks months probably years of my life which I'd show up to stuff just like this and nothing would move in my heart. Nothing would move me. No song, I'd be like, I don't like that song, so I'm not going to sing that song. <laughs> you know, like, maybe that happened to you this morning. You're like, I don't care for that song, or that sermon just re- didn't really do it. Here's what he could have done better, or she could have said this differently, or whatever. Like, I would just sit there, and it was such a critical thing because for me, it was passive. It didn't, I never really engaged. Me on a heart level and So my lie, if that was my system My lie was that living for God Was simply a moral exercise That I wasn't that good at That's a lie I, be, I believed And told myself That's what—that's all it is This is like trying to manage my sin For as long as possible Make sure nobody finds out That I've got this stuff And just be comfortable and quiet And passive about it And, and lastly my vow my, The commitment I had made to myself Even though its I would never would have verbalized this it was my vow was to guard my heart, to keep playing the game, to live a very safe, quiet, comfortable Christian life. But something happened to me in 2020. That happened actually to all of us. All of us in 2020 were forced to reckon with who we really were. Now maybe you didn't really take the advantage, to take that chance, but but when everything around you is in upheaval and, and when your job is church services and those aren't happening and your job is to communicate god's word instead of doing that like this you're doing that into your phone like there were so many things for me that were very disorienting about 2020 but i remember sitting in our guest room which was like my makeshift office at the time and this something began to turn over in me as i got real about scripture as i really started to engage with the holy spirit as i had more time to pray and do a lot of the things that I often will just neglect in a, in a busy time, I began to grow discontent with my stronghold. Something started to click over in me to say, Is this really all there is? Is there more John John, are you settling for a stronghold brand of Christianity when there's a lot more on the table That started to happen to me and as I thought about that couple's comments to me I was like That started in 2020. And thank God, by his grace, every single day almost, he's bringing me into that, saying, John, don't get like Jonah, don't get like Jonah, don't get like Jonah. Watch out for the stronghold. And like Jonah, what I realized four years ago was that I had shaped my life with God perfectly to get the results I was getting. The results I was getting of passive, boring, comfortable, inward-turned, Christianity, I had a system for that and it was working beautifully and something happened There's some something turned over in me in that year of crisis and, and upheaval for all of us to say I don't want to live that way anymore I think that there's more and I, I'm not experiencing that yet and so if I could put myself out on a limb here uh, as a guy who doesn't have too much to lose <laughs> here's what I would say I think for many of us, if you grew up in the same system I grew up in The stronghold, even for you today, maybe like me, is to remain passive instead of engaged. Passive, comfortable, quiet, secure, stable, predictable Christianity can become a stronghold for us, and it keeps us from really engaging with the Holy Spirit. It keeps us from really engaging with freedom. It keeps us from really engaging... The process of letting God expose our minds to truth and it, it leaves us settled for lies and comfort and, and, and darkness and brokenness and sin patterns that you should not be dealing with at this stage. And that's what began to happen to me. It began to this rising discontent in my life where I just began to be hungry for so much more than I was getting. And, and for some of you, maybe that's, that's a burning in your heart today too. You know, I was reminded of this yesterday. So, we have an almost three year old. Her name's Lennon, and she's a psycho. Just to, if you've never met her, she's insane. Uh, but she's very cute, very beautiful. And so, we were playing blocks yesterday. She's got these pink blocks that find themselves all over our house at different times. But I love blocks as a dad. You know why I love blocks? Because you can be passive while playing blocks. All you have to do is hand her the next one, and she just does the rest. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I got up so early. Against my will, I just want to sit on your floor and hand you blocks. And she was like, All right. So we sat down on the floor. I'm handing her blocks, handing her blocks. And I'm like totally checked out. I'm like, I wonder if I could close one eye and sleep. You know, like I was trying to think, how can I make this into a nap opportunity? So I'm sitting there just very passive, like handing her the next pink block, the next pink block. And finally, I think she realized it. Like I'm an oldest child, she's the oldest child. And she walks over to me, or kind of leans over to me. Takes her index finger and shoves it up my nostril. Boom, right up my nostril. I was like, what? And immediately blood out comes starts coming out of my nose. It was like a whole situation. I'm like, you just gave me like a forced COVID test, you know, like And so I I'm like bleeding, I'm like, I gotta go to the bathroom, I'm gonna be <laughs> dripping blood on your floor. So I go in, I'm like fixing it. She Dad, are you bleeding? I was like, What made you think that? Like, what a you're genius, you know? I was like, yes, I'm bleeding. And you, I said, you hurt daddy. You hurt my nose. She said, I, I don't know what happened. I said, I know what happened. You took your finger. Poof, like Daddy's not paying attention. He's going to be engaged now. I got, but what happened to me in that moment, I got engaged. Let me tell you, I was engaged in block building for the rest of the time that we were sitting on the floor. And I think God gives Jonah these moments. He gives us these moments to say, hold, hold up. Don't get passive. Engage. There's there's more. There's something more for you. And, and let me just tell you, you may think, I don't know what you're talking about. Friends, something happens to you on the inside when you get in touch with the more, When you when you allow God to show you who he really is, his real character, his real beauty, his real power, his real desire for you to be a totally different person next year than you are this year. That's that's on the table. Here's the irony of Jonah. Jonah is an autobiography. Jonah wrote Jonah. And if I was writing a book about myself, knowing some nerd is gonna preach on me for eight weeks, I would make it look pretty good. I would make it look really good. And if I knew people were gonna talk about my story and pick it apart and like, here's all the best parts of, of John's story in four chapters, and but that's not what Jonah does. Most scholars agree as he was writing this, he's trying to point out like it's a cautionary tale. Don't let the the stronghold of passivity and indifference take root in your life. Tear it down. Expose it to the truth. I think if Jonah was here today, that's what he would say. Watch out for the stronghold of passivity. Don't let it eat you alive. Don't let it ruin your perspective. Don't let it trick you into thinking comfort is the goal of the Christian life. Don't, don't let it trick you into thinking that you don't actually have one. Don't, don't be oblivious to your stronghold. Let God change you and engage with Him. Expose that stronghold to the truth. And here's a, a quote that we were talking about this this week as a teaching team. And it just stuck with me. He's not a, a Christian guy, I don't think, by any means. But Tony Robbins writes this. He says, Change happens when the pain of staying the same Is greater than the pain of change Let me phrase it this way Change happens when the pain Of living with your stronghold Is greater than the pain Of letting God tear it down That's the big difference That's what we're talking about here It's not just trading one religious Performance plan for another Because if I ask the question that goes Beneath all of this For us as a community What would keep us from being the church God wants us to be in this coming season I've got one answer. Being content with our strongholds. Being content to live half of the life that Jesus has for us. Being content to just show up. Being content to just give the minimum. Being content to to, to live in a community in which there are literally thousands of people ten minutes away from your seat who are far from Jesus, have no hope, no chance, no vision, no no freedom, and just to sit here and be totally okay with that that's that 's the jonah problem don't let 's not make the jonah mistake let 's not let that problem be our problem like what would keep us from reaching the thousands of people within ten minutes of this building for Christ being content with our strongholds of passivity and indifference? What would keep your marriage or your singleness or your friendships or Or your entire family from being all that God desires it to be this year. Being content with your stronghold. What would keep me? What would keep you? What would keep all of us from living with a daily awareness of the tangible, manifest presence of God every single day? It would be being content with our strongholds. Here's the hope of the gospel. Jesus stayed engaged his entire life. There was never a moment in which Jesus said, you know what, I didn't sleep that great. I'm probably not going to heal you today. <laughs> there's never a moment where Jesus says, God, I know that there's a miracle you're asking me to do. I know there's something you're asking me to step out and to do, and it's going to take obedience on my part. I just don't feel it. Jesus never looks at the cross and says, that seems really painful. I don't think I'm going to do that. No, Jesus stays engaged entire life there's never a moment when you could describe jesus as being passive to the father's heart or to his presence passive to the needs of those around him who are completely lost not yet healed not yet saved not yet rescued friends that that's the beauty of the cross the beauty of the cross gives us a vision of god fully engaged with us fully there present feeling all of it for your and I, you and i's salvation That's why Jesus is the true and better Jonah. That's why Jesus is the true and better king, the true and better prophet, and it's exposure to that truth of who King Jesus really is that tears down every stronghold, that gets us in touch with the life of freedom and vision and destiny and purpose and hope and truth that he really wants all of us to experience, not just super Christians, all of us. And so... I'm not exactly sure where this goes. I could like, give you some five steps or something, and that may just feel like a list of rules. What I really feel like is we need, we need a revelation of who Jesus really is. That's what changes us. I remember that happened for me uh, about a year ago. There was something described as an Asbury outpouring that take, took place in a real small town in Wilmore, Kentucky. And me and some of our other lead pastors jumped in a van, drove down there, just wanted to experience it, just wanted to be a part of it. Be in the room. i Remember walking into Hughes Auditorium. This picture you see here, and I walked in. The first thing that hit me. I remember journaling this weeks later, was the worthiness of Jesus. That's what hit me. Was Jesus? There are people, thousands of people, from all over the world, not just Kentucky, like all over the world, flying in, driving to a small town you've probably never heard of. Why? Because Jesus. Was worthy, and Jesus' presence was overtaking a, a place and tearing down strongholds, and people wanted to be in the room when that was taking place. That's what hit me was the worthiness of Jesus. It gripped my life. And all that all that began to take place in the last year, a lot of things that I wouldn't have chosen to take place, all were pointing me over and over again. Jesus, I don't understand this, but you're worthy. Jesus, I know I've got this stronghold that wants to creep into my life again and again of passivity, indifference, comfort, safety, stability, predictability, and you want to tear that down. You are worthy of tearing it down. You're worthy of my attention. You're worthy of my focus. And when we worship, that's what we do. When we take communion here in a minute, that's what we're doing. We're stepping into a moment saying, God, thank you for the blood. Thank you for your body broken for me. I need grace. Because of who you are, what you've done on the cross, I can receive it today, fresh in my life. And and you want to tear down strongholds. And so as we sing, as we worship, friends, that's the invitation. And what Paul says in Corinthians is don't just take communion. Don't just do it because you've always done it. He says examine yourself, reflect. And today I think the chance for us is to reflect and examine, God, what are the strongholds keeping me from full life in you? And be honest. Be specific and surrender them to him. And so I'd love to pray for you before we take communion and worship. Would you join me as we do that? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and today that you would teach us. Teach us about your character. Teach us what you're really like. I pray for us Maybe for some of us who have grown up with that stronghold of passivity and indifference and casual Christianity, plastic Christianity. God, we pray that you would break us free from that, even right now, Holy Spirit, that you begin to tear down strongholds. You would bring us into greater freedom, gr- greater sense of just being alive in you, what you have saved us from, how, how much you have in store for us. How What we have right now, our experience of you is not all that there is, that there is more. That there's more. Help us to seek that out, Holy Spirit. And thank you for the blood. Thank you for your body broken on the cross. Thank you for being the true and better Jonah who comes to us not with begrudgingly sharing a message of repentance and salvation, but offering up your life with joy to reach us, to save us, to find us. So we just confess, God, we need your truth. We need a vision of Jesus today. We need a fresh revelation of how beautiful you are, how strong you are, how just you are, how merciful you are, how, how full of grace and truth you are for us. And, God, I pray underneath that vision and revelation, you tear down every stronghold. You are king. You are Lord, and we worship you. In Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Amen. So, I'm going We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit centergr.com/new. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.